from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, as well as on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Two places to listen, two places to watch, facebook.com backslash wakeupcalldt and facebook.com backslash livenowdt. So however you're listening, however you're watching, appreciate it very much so. And uh, speaking off the air to Trip Durham, who's with us right now, tell him God is shaking the snow globe of Central New York. Looks pretty, looks beautiful. It's the type of snow where you can hear those jingle bells in the background. But as as Trip put it so very well, we we are uh, a little bit prior to Christmas or eight days. So you know we'll see we'll see the consistency of this. But obviously, be safe out there when you're traveling, folks. With the ice, the black ice, the snow. Please be safe, and I didn't have to say this to myself when I was down in Florida last Tuesday and it was 86 degrees, but I do have to say this this morning as it's in the 30s, so please be safe out there. Trip is with us, 2D Consulting, uh, fantastic. We've talked about his company before. Definitely want to go check it out. I'll actually share that with you on social media. You can get it on TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as YouTube, and of course Podbean directly. Uh, wakeupcalldt.podbean.com. That has over 1,300 shows, and you can search Trip Durham. You could just put in Trip, actually, and it'll bring you straight to the story. So plenty to talk about on the ACC with somebody that I respect very much so and uh, very proud that I met a few years back. So with that being said, let's bring him in. Trip, how are you doing today? Dan, how you been? And by the way, that is Trip with one P. I wouldn't want that to get confused with anybody else out there, not that there are thousands of Trip Durhams running around. <laughs> But I bet you I'm the only one with only a single P at the end. Now I, I got to say this though, for you being in the Carolinas, did you did you entertainment wise change your name to Durham to be fitting, or did the family just you know start the city, or I mean, how did it all come about? My fourth great uncle is Bartlett Durham, and Bartlett donated the land for the railroad station depot. Yeah. And as was customary back in the day of yore, if you put your name or if you gifted something of any significant value to a, a burgeoning community, they would obviously put some type of tag to your name. And so the last name of Durham went on to the name of the railroad station, and then the rest, I guess, is history or future or however you put it so there is a family connection which we're very proud of you are etched in the fabric of durham north carolina i would i would think that that would make you a king down there well when i do um pass through the the city limit sign uh, there is this angelic glow and this music that starts um <laughs> and if you believe that right uh, brooklyn bridge um ocean and nevada whatever else yeah, that's. Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, it, it should. I think. I think. Uh, I think you should have a nice little welcoming. I think we all deserve that when we come through town. So you know, there's some music that plays when I come back to Syracuse. I believe it's somewhere. Somebody's got it somewhere. So get into the ACC. Uh, start at the top. Clemson is obviously doing what they do. Uh, a team that won every game that was on their docket. You know, you got to win the ones that are in front of you. They did. 13 and 0. They made yet another ACC championship look like look like a, a, a cupcake type of game. 
took care of business over the Coastal. Uh, took down Pittsburgh last year in a giant fashion. This time around, did the same thing to Virginia, winning in the ACC championship, 62-17. to What's your take on Clemson this year? Because some people on the outside looking in said, listen, this is a weak ACC. I don't know if you can let them in. They're going to have to stay damn near perfect. Uh, what was your take about this? Because Clemson is Clemson, but the ACC was not uh, too great of a challenge this year. Well, Dan, I'll always remind folks that I frame any of my thoughts in the idea that I am a fan. I grew up in the ACC marketplace. Uh, the big four of the ACC when I was a kid and even now are all within a 45-minute drive from me. So I don't make any statements or comments based on any of my work endeavors. They're just all personal observations. Right. Uh, every team, and this is going to sound clicheic, and we've seen it in our sports lives, and we've heard the comments from the podium, every team prepares for each game. And every team goes through a, a series of practices, and I don't mean literally on the field. I mean through protocol they go through a series of practices by which they prepare and they get ready and that's film that's recruiting that's travel that's all the little idiosyncrasies that go into running an army that is really what a football program is so for pundits to say that you know clemson is you know 8-0 in the league 13-0 overall because it's a down league i would challenge them to live the life of a football coach or a program and then after living that life, come back and say whether or not a program uh, didn't have a strong schedule or that they played against a weak league. Yeah, you know, and, and, and obviously to your point, like you said, I mean, people have to, you have to set this up and, you know, there really are no days off for practicing and getting in the weight room and looking at film and, and being ready. And if you want to win championships, there's a lot more than just doing the typical, you know, if you do the average, you do the norm. That's what you're gonna de- you're gonna get. If you do the extraordinary, you go the extra mile. Then you have that opportunity of achieving greatness. And obviously, we've seen that with Dabo Sweeney in Clemson. Dabo is he he's he doesn't hide anything. He's a man of his faith. He shares that. He loves his kids. He shares that. You know, he loves his his family that is the football team. He loves his family that you know is his biological family. He is very caring about the sport of football. He's very caring about what he can do. He knows that standing at a podium has a lot to it, and there's a lot of weight that gets held there, and how you carry yourself by the second is important. To me, he's the epitome of somebody who utilizes the podium in in a very positive way and takes the fact that so many people are listening to him and tries to go well beyond the sport of football. You have been up there. You've asked him questions. You and I have been in the same room with him. We've both gotten to speak with him. What are your thoughts on Dabo Sweeney and how he carries himself and how he how he attacks being up at the podium? I think he's as uh, quality of an individual and as fantastic of a representative of the league that you could find. And I know that sounds theatrical, but top quality, top shelf. Uh, it sort of tickles me a little bit back in july during the football media rouser in charlotte we were a couple of days away as a world really we were a couple of days away from the anniversary of man landing on the moon 50 years had passed and so i took it upon myself as the facilitator sort of the moderator of that media room that if we had time if i needed one question to ask because the room was not generating any 
any questions for a particular head coach, I was going to talk about the anniversary of the moon landing in a couple of days and what it meant to them. And it's such a such a curveball kind of question in a room like that where it's, Coach, how about last year? How about recruiting class? What are you working on for this year? It's such a different question. So there were some of the coaches that I had a chance to say hello to prior to them going to the podium, setting the stage, literally, that I may be asking a, a, a question that's a bit offbeat. Just be ready for it. So Clemson was the last school in the room, and all this – goes to what I think of Dabo as, as a person and character. Uh, Clemson is the last school in the room on the second day of media. And right before Coach Sweeney goes up, I said, look, curveball, may ask it, not quite sure. It'll be fun, so just listen for it. Well, we get to the end of the session, and there was no time for me to ask the question. We had concluded we needed to get media members off to make their deadlines. We yeah. were just done, so I, I couldn't ask the question. So I'm reaching down to the podium. I'm grabbing my stuff. I'm putting the book bag on my back as on my back. As I look up with all this milling around, Coach Sweeney is standing right in front of the podium, almost nose to nose with me with a big grin on his face. Yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah, (laughs) I I don't remember what my reaction was, but with all that activity, I didn't expect to see Coach Sweeney in front of me. And with this big grin and like he was eight years old, he goes, man, what was the question? I was ready. Yeah. I was ready to give you whatever it was. And I said, well, it was about the moon landing 50 years. He goes, oh, I wish we'd have gotten to it. I love that stuff. And I remember all the buzz that was around it when we were growing up. And I was like, man. So I tell you all that because I think, to your point, he's very true. Uh, his character is – it just bleeds and it's very real. Uh, I, I hope the league, I hope Clemson, I hope South Carolina, I hope we keep him around for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. That coming from Trip Durham here with us this morning uh, of 2D Consulting and outside of that, like you said, an overall fan of the ACC, a moderator for ACC Media Days for football and basketball as well. And, you know, I, I agree. You know, the the more I get to speak with, with Dabo Sweeney and through the ACC, I've had the opportunity to speak with uh, so many tremendous coaches and get to see some coaches come around again uh, that I had in my travels before because, as you know, the sports world is so tiny. And uh, to to have, I, I say Jimbo Fisher was one of my favorites, and obviously at Florida State, said he was the only man that could speak fast enough to interrupt himself. And, and uh, I want to go back to Jimbo for a second here. Were there any special moments that you had with, with good old Jimbo Fisher, anything that you can pull out? Because he always seemed to have a personality, uh, too. And like I said, he had a very unique way, very unique accent, and just the way that he, he carried himself. Do you have any, any Jimbo Fisher thoughts? There is um, there's a demeanor that certain personalities have when they're at a podium. And any of us fortunate enough to be in a media situation and watching that stuff that you don't see happen on the 6 o'clock news bite, um, those things you sort of pick up on. And I think... Jimbo Fisher, his carriage that I interrupt myself, I'm the only person that can do that because I speak so fast. The thing that I'll always remember is how attentive he is or was in the ACC setting, how attentive he was to every person, every question, always looking you straight in the eye, never wavering to see who might be over your left shoulder or what he needs to do next. In that moment, you are the focus 
your question was the most important one in the world, and he was going to give it its due all the way through. So I appreciate that earnest quality uh, of a professional like him. Absolutely. You know, he, he was he was definitely something special. And speaking of Florida State, there is somebody coming in to Florida State, Mike Norvell. And I had the opportunity to cover him for the last four years in Memphis. And, and, and again, how small this sports world is. I had Justin Fuente for, I believe, three seasons at Memphis. And he came over to Virginia Tech for the last four. So I've had him for seven. And now Mike Norvell, four years in Memphis. And now he's at Florida State. So, you know, two former Memphis coaches on opposite sides, one in the Coastal, one in the Atlantic. I have a tremendous respect for Mike Norvell, having spoken with him many a times, uh, a lot of times weekly over the last four years. And was at that final press conference that he ever did with Memphis after they finally won the American Athletic Championship game with, with three, sh- strats, a street, three straight shots at it consecutively, uh, two in the state of Orlando against UCF, and then one at home against Cincinnati this time around. What do you know about Mike Norvell? What's your take on it? And then secondly, how do you respond to the fact that social media had before his his press conference uh, that that past Sunday, this you know not this Sunday but the Sunday before there was already people that were crucifying this man I mean uh, in the world that we live in I think you could speak to both parts so what do you know about Mike Norvell and then secondly not just with Florida State but in general how fan bases seem to hate their coach before he even has one down on the field the first question is rooted in the idea that I've got some type of knowledge about Coach Norvell, which I don't. But I think based on what he was able to do at Memphis, um, took over a program uh, that needed a little bit of extra pop and finished eight and five, uh, took that, elevated it yet one more step. 10 and three in 2017 and being able to close out his time at Memphis at 12 and one Memphis in my mind has always had, and this is just my words, nobody else's. It's always seemed to have that little brother syndrome in the state of Tennessee. Hey, don't forget about us. I know we're in the westernmost edge. I know that you've got Vanderbilt. I know that you've got Tennessee. I know that you got UTC, but don't forget about us. Carson Newman doing their thing in the eastern part of the state. Don't forget about us. So they've always had this swagger. And that's the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is how Coach Norvell brings that swagger back to a very proud Seminole nation. Um, the, the culture that Coach Bowden built, uh, that culture that Jimbo Fisher was able to build upon, I'm looking forward to seeing what Coach Norvell can do in bringing that back to Florida. On the other side, social media, we all struggle with it philosophically. There are a lot of us in the business world, you and myself included, that we rely on social media. And we don't rely on it because we got to have it. We rely on it because it keeps us in touch and it helps yeah. us stay relevant. Um, but the other side of it is we, I, I wish I could get rid of it. I, I wish I didn't need it, but the way that we've been conditioned over the last 10 years is that again, we, we, we got to have it. So for people to be out there just throwing vile stuff out because they feel like that their social media account 
gives them the opportunity to stand on a soapbox that may be a little bit taller in their minds than everybody else's and that they feel good about themselves because they can throw such negativity around. It just, it fascinates me. It, it pisses me off. Um, but it, it fascinates me. And so uh, I, I don't know that you've got time enough today to talk about how people troll and how people throw brick bats on social media, but I just so unfair for, for any individual that comes into a position, yeah. coaching, CEO, whatever it is, it's just, it's not fair. It's not, you know, and, and, and like I said, you know, getting into this, I, I know that people have issues with officials and that's been forever. And I know that people have issues with their coaches and the players and whatnot, but never did I think as a broadcaster who's the bridge, you know, the broadcaster, the writer, the multimedia company that's a bridge between the people, and you're just giving them information about the team that they love, that people would want to blow up and burn the bridge to the things that they're supposed to love the most. And on the show, I, you know, try to always be positive, even in the adverse moments like with Syracuse's season always try to find the upswing find the the positive angle tell the stories that need to be told so it's it's always been interesting to me but I agree with you wholeheartedly with everything you said I don't I don't think I could say it any better in how you brought it about but I will I will bring up something that's that happened this season at Syracuse and I'll leave the the family's name out of it but I do want to mention this because we are going to talk about Syracuse football we're here with Trip Durham this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. Trip, one of the parents of one of the players this year at Syracuse, it was during the Clemson game, and it was not the not the Clemson fans. And I know people that work at our airport, and they said, oh my God, these Clemson fans, they come in, they're so sweet, they're so kind. Some of them fly on private jets with, you know, mom, dad, you know, son, daughter, and the family dog. They're nice to everybody. They're a pleasure to have around. So this wasn't an away team uh, issue. So Syracuse is at the Dome, and one of the parents, one of the mothers, their kid was struggling on the field. And she sent me a message after the game as I get to know these families. And I believe being an honest person who tries to be fair and just with these players, you know, that creates a bridge with their family that I'll always uh, value. She said to me that there were Syracuse fans throwing, like throwing food and stuff, just throwing things at her because of how much they were pissed at her son on the field. There's also the notion of, of players that have come before that have had, their parents have had to move into other sections because the section was just being a nuisance. And it's not me picking out Syracuse in the city that I'm in. It's just telling a story that I know. But I mean, outside of trolling on the Internet, what do you what do you think being a fan of, of the world of sports and, you know, a love for the game to hear that there are parents of kids that are going to home games, having things thrown at them during the games just to me, from the fan base that, that is in that city, it to me just seems absolutely, it seems barbaric to me, honestly. Longtime assistant basketball coach Ernie Nestor once told me, he said, if you're going to spend your energy, spend your energy lifting somebody as opposed to knocking them down. And I wish 300 million of us could keep a statement similar to that in our minds and in our hearts every day. At one of the arenas, or at the arena here locally that I'm fortunate enough to handle public address for, just last year, uh, there was, it wasn't an incident, but it was certainly a noted episode by which there was someone of about 55 or 60 years old 
screaming at the 20-year-old from the opposing team who is getting ready to check into the game. And the distance that separated the elder and the younger was only about 20 feet, if even that. And everybody at the scorer's table turned and looked, unfortunately not all at one time, because that would have made a statement to the 60-year-old. But we all turned and looked. And I know that everyone at the table was thinking, sir, don't you realize there's a 40-year age gap? Don't you understand that this is someone who has just crawled out of their teen years, who is still learning the ways of life? Can't you understand that it is just a game? All of those things. Yeah. So I don't, I don't understand where the where the hatred comes from. Uh, obviously, we all have our own set of challenges. Personally, uh, none of us uh, go through this world without some type of of blight or tick against our personality. But I don't know where it is that these people are reared from, where they come from, what has put them into a situation that has them throwing such disgust towards people. No, it's confusing. And it's, it's obviously something that, that needs to change. And and I hope that it does. I mean, I went to a high school game this past season where somebody was screaming for the high school coach to be shot. And I, I, I do, my brain couldn't really take it all in in the in the moment, but we did that a collective where nobody looked at the same time, but everybody kind of looked at at one point. And, and and obviously there needs to be there needs to be change. There needs to be etiquette. People need to kind of respect their neighbor. Keeping with Syracuse, though, it was a tumultuous season. You're there for ACC Media Day. I'm there. We vote, and when the media votes. Typically, the media picks Syracuse to finish 7 out of 7 in the ACC Atlantic Division or 6 out of 7. Well, this year, I was very surprised to see, especially the Carol- the Carolinian media, to choose Syracuse to finish second, right behind Clemson. So, that doesn't happen. It doesn't come about. I spoke with Alex Dodges a little bit ago, and I said to him, did Carolina learn their lesson? I mean, is is this something where they're like, hey, we put you second, we'll never do it again. I, I was surprised to see them pick Syracuse that high, and now we see Syracuse uh, finishing sixth out of seventh in the Atlantic Division. What's your take on Syracuse's season and a season where the majority of the ACC media really did think that even with the loss of Eric Dungy and offensive linemen and linebackers and whatnot, that there was still going to be some success on that side? I've never, I I certainly understand the value of preseason. It allows for conversation, but I don't know that I've ever agreed that someone, and Dan, I'll just use you because you are the one I'm speaking with and you will be my muse in this, how it is that folks that get a vote, maybe like yourself, can say with definition that this school is going to finish in this position when again going back to one of the earlier comments you're not in the film room you're not in the training room you're not in the the dining hall you're not on the recruiting trail how do you know that two is going to be what in this case Syracuse is going to finish so that part of it uh, has always been a little bit of a disconnect for me but if you go and look at what Dino was able to do in the wins and even with some of the close losses it was competitive football in the the adage that you know the ball is up long and therefore it's going to bounce funny ways it's it bounced funny ways at times so i don't know that at least from 
being several states uh, below you geographically, being more in the south end, in the New York region, I don't know that it, it's fair to throw stones. Uh, I think the culture that he's building, I think the processes that he seems to be going through, at least from the outside looking in, are strong. Uh, his character seems to be one that he is going to coach you and he's going to help mentor you all at the same time. I think you got a, a great guy with a great upshot with a program, and everybody has blips here. Go back and look at Coach Norvell. Coach Norvell had a blip year in 2018 and was able to fire back with a 12-1 and season this past year. And now look where he's headed to take that same type of culture to Florida State. So yeah. just, just a down. I don't know that anybody should be overly heated about it. But again, I'm in North Carolina. You're in New York. So maybe far be it for me to say. It is in or either way. It's an early signing period <clears throat> that's coming up here. We're speaking with Trip Durham this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, founder of 2D Consulting, and make sure that you check that out online. And we're speaking obviously on the Atlantic Coast Conference. Fan, not a fan of the early signing period. National Signing Day used to be that uh, first full first full week of February. That Wednesday, it still is there, but they added in this early signing period right before Christmas, around December 18th, December 20th, that that region right before uh, Christmas time. So we have that now, which is essentially supplanted the National Signing Day in February, and this is the new National Signing Day, and that one is is kind of the, the add-on, the bonus signing day, the let's clean up a couple more positions, maybe shock some people and steal somebody away. What's your overall take on two National Signing Days and the fact that in December, coaches – while they're preparing for bowl games, while they're in the thick of things, a lot of these teams getting ready for stuff, they still have to wrap up what's going on and make sure that they take care of December now, not just February. Under the umbrella of one, I had never been recruited by an institution. And at two, I've never coached a down in my life. I think from a student athlete standpoint, if that young man knows in his heart of hearts where it is he wants to go, the idea of not belaboring that formal decision, I think, is positive. However, from a coaching standpoint, knowing that there may be some kids on a fence, that you might have some protocols that you have found successful in the past that work for you to get to February, that that has now been interrupted, I could see where that could be a problem. Keep in mind, too, under this umbrella, I've never served on a rules committee I've never talked about protocol within the ranks of college athletics when it comes to coaching. So when these um, when these rules are created, when these new policies are put in place, it's being done through a lot of chatter by those principals and stakeholders who value that decision at its nth degree. So coaches knew that it was coming. Coaches were part of the conversations. Uh, I think like anything else in sport, too, you just learn to adapt. So eventually, um, one can make the the case that there'll only be one signing day, and that'll be December because of the shift uh, that we went through two years ago now, I guess. So, again, I'm not landing on either side, but I can certainly see both sides, and it was the the coaches and the administrators that that got us to this point. Absolutely, and, you know, we are where we are right now, and and obviously there's excitement. It gives you something, an early Christmas gift to open, an early holiday gift to be excited about, but that's where we stand right now. Before I let you go, Trip, but to take a look at Mac Brown in North Carolina, you being down in that area, like you said, so close to so many schools, 
in in North Carolina. Mac, it's his second coming inside of the ACC, second coming with North Carolina. He gets the team to a point where they're going to a bowl game, six and six overall, four and four in the ACC. What's what's the take? What's the feel for Mac Brown to get this team into the postseason in his first season back? Even though South Carolina is not a, wasn't a great team this year at four and eight, he still won that battle between the Carolinas, which has special meaning down there. What what's the take on Mac Brown's second coming, his resurgence and, and entry back into college football? Again, my opinion only. Well, all of us change over the course of thirty years, and I think watching his evolution from where he was first time around to where he is now, uh, all of us hope to be much wiser, much smarter and have a, a bit more bit more learnings behind us as we move forward. Uh, I like the idea that he brought a sense of, again, my opinion, administration to the sideline. Uh, very crisp, very calm, very cool, very collected. Uh, not a whole lot of delay of game penalties, not a whole lot of substitution penalties. So administratively, I think he ran a very good sideline during a game, and I think he'll continue to put those processes in place. Uh, thirdly, I love that he went for two against Clemson. Midseason has the number one team on the ropes, and he says, I am going to plant a new flag for Tar Heel football. And even when the play was being called in and everybody must have been scratching their heads, what are you doing? You're at home, kick, go for the tie, play for the overtime. Even when the play was running in, I'm like, I I like this. It sets a tone. So I think all of that packaged, and now that he's received a one-year extension, uh, another one of those that I mentioned about Dabo, I hope he sticks around for a long time. A lot of people in this area would not have said that a couple of decades ago, but he's good for football, he's good for the league, and I think he's really good for the Tar Heel State. And in the state of North Carolina, uh, quickly here, there's been the notion of Wake Forest just not – you know, not being covered, not and and you know better than I do because you're down there all the time. But you know, there there was actually a statement made at at ACC Media Day of one of the companies that that had said, "Hey, make sure you get pictures of all the North Carolina teams and get Wake Forest if you feel like you need to." They're obviously a North Carolina team. They're obviously a team that's had success. Dave Clawson came in and said, and, and I've had so many opportunities to speak with him both on the phone and then obviously, you know, events like ACC Media Day for the kickoff. And I respect Dave Clawson. He came into the job. He said, I looked at the powers that be and I said, don't hire me unless you're going to give me time. I need time. And he put together an eight and four season this season. He has been in the top three, top two, right behind Clemson in the Atlantic Division. This is uh, consistency of going to bowl games, consistency of having winning records. He didn't just have one good year and then back to what people anticipated. He had one good year and then he'll have a better year or he'll keep the team at seven wins, eight wins, get them to a bowl game. What is the disconnect between the media in North Carolina and Wake Forest? Why is there not a, 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 a spotlight? Why is there not... A, a feeling or, or a need to spend more time on Dave Clawson, spend more time on this program. I hear that the school is small and this, that, and the other, but I mean, the school is successful. And to me, success deserves to be spoken about, especially when it's done the right way. What What is the disconnect with Wake Forest? 
I think that you could probably make the case that there are multiple variables, but the first one that comes to my mind and I've really considered over the years is geography. Uh, Winston-Salem is on the westernmost side of the big four of the ACC with NC State, Duke, and North Carolina all being within as little as an eight-mile drive or as many as a 20-mile drive amongst the three schools. Wake is tucked in that western segment in which there's really only one television station in the town. Radio has come and gone from the Winston-Salem marketplace over the years, and where that used to be a really strong media market, it's not as much anymore, and again, geography has something to do with that. Then also, too, you have a lot of Appalachian State grads that live in what is known as the Piedmont, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, in the Triangle, Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill. There are a lot of App State grads that will travel through Winston-Salem to go back to Boone for game day or for reunions or whatever the event is. So there are those people that are on the furthest western edge of the landscape of colleges in the state. So in a sense, you've got Winston-Salem where Wake Forest resides. You've got them, one, on the outer fringe of the Big Four, and then two, they're sort of sandwiched in between uh, the love for what is App State over the years, and then the Big Three, or three of the Big Four with the ACC. So again, all a lot of variables, Dan. Mine just comes down to geography. They just... Um, they're just not in a place to where they're going to get a ton of, of spotlights. But that's obviously changing what Coach Clawson has put into place, what Ron Wellman did to support football, and now what John Curry is doing to further support all of athletics. Clawson is going to sneak up, and he's going to give you a 12-1. and 1. He's going to give you a 10-2 and 2 or a 10-3. and 3. And people are going to go, oh, yeah. And I think that's that's fine for him. I'm only guessing he's okay with the idea of you'll, you'll come to notice us. I, I promise you that. I think he's fine with that. Yeah, you know, I, I think that he's that guy that's just going to go to work no matter what. And, and as we talked about before, the importance of controlling what you can control, focusing on the positive, and like you said, building somebody up instead of tearing somebody down. You know, I'm sure that he is – more than concerned about his players and his school, his team, than he is about uh, what people think of him and where they regard him as. But he's always been a pleasure. So uh, final notes here for you, college football playoff trip, overall take on it. LSU is LSU. They've been tremendous this year. They're undefeated. Ohio State undefeated, has run through the Big Ten and everybody else in their wake. We've seen Clemson do what they do. And, uh, and squeaking in here in the perfect storm, Oregon defeats Utah, as well as Georgia losing to LSU. Oklahoma beats Baylor two times in 22 days, and they find their way back in. They've kind of flown under the radar that they've made it to four college football playoffs since its institution in 2015. They made three straight, but not a lot of people focus on that because they're focusing on Alabama-Clemson most of the time. What's your take on, on this year's four? And secondly... Do we need to expand this thing? Well, I'm not going to get into the second question because there are so many people that take the two sides that I don't think having one more person drop an opinion into a bucket is going to help much. Uh, But on the former side, uh, I think to all of the championships that are hosted in college athletics and through the decades of tilts on a grand scale and a grand stage, how many times have we ever had schools with like nicknames go against one another 
So I'm actually pulling for a Tiger Tiger final. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I want to see if there's any play of that. Uh, I love the idea that it becomes a trivia question. Uh, I bet there are not too many places in, in time in which you could find mascot on mascot. can certainly tell you for a fact that Georgetown has never played anybody with a similar mascot name in a championship. And chances are Wake Forest hasn't either. So the idea that you've got uh, a neat little cute storyline, I'm sort of selfishly pulling for LSU and Clemson. Fair enough. I think LSU is the team to beat right now in this whole grand scheme of things. But with that being said, Trip Durham here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Trip, as always, I appreciate it. I thank you so much. Please enjoy the the better weather that's down there with you. And uh, Merry Christmas and a ha- happy holidays to you and the family. And I appreciate that. And remind me, where do I send the invoice? Uh, you send it. I'll send it. I'll get, I'll get it to you. I'll text it to you. I'll make sure I get you all set up and ready to go. Have a great one. <laughs> Take care. Be good. Bye.